Come on now, come on. Are you guys been having fun with this series? I have been having a blast. If you guys haven't had fun with this series, then I don't know what's wrong with you, but we'll figure that out later. And I'm sure that we'll have a group for you or some therapy for you. Do I have any psychologists in the house? Okay, good. Somebody raise their hand. You can go see them and they'll actually help you with not having fun. Okay, we're going to have more fun, okay? Let me explain if you're just coming along. We're ending a series today. So we've been doing a series called Marvel. And a lot of people say, well, is it about comic book heroes? No, that's just a fun theme to actually have fun and geek out on. It's actually been more about this one passage that we've anchored into, Mark 6, chapter 6, which essentially says Jesus marveled at their unbelief. And we said at the very beginning, we don't want Jesus marveling at our unbelief. We'd really like for Jesus to marvel at our belief. So we launched this series. It's been a lot of fun with some different churches. There's a church over in Federalsburg that we're partnered with to do this. There's one in Arkansas. And we've just been having fun doing this together. And so we've gone through some different principles about ways that Jesus can marvel at our belief. And so let me walk you through those and then we'll open up the notes for today. So in week one, we talked about this idea of unbelief. Week two, we talked about Ant-Man. And we actually talked about how we can have a work ethic like an ant, and God still honors that. God still loves people that work hard, and he honors that. On week three, we talked about a mother's vision for their child, and that moms have a unique vision for their kids, and that's why that proverb is so cool. And we looked into a part, Proverbs 31. On week four, we talked about storms and Jesus in the boat asleep, and we talked through like the fact that all of us go through storms at different seasons and different times, and our brother Jack actually was able to share his story about a recent storm that he went through, and how even in the middle of those storms, it gets so hard sometimes to just say, God, I know you're still in the middle of this with me, but on the end of the storm, Jack said, you look back and you just see him all the way. So it was pretty cool. If you haven't seen Jack's testimony, that's on Facebook. You can see that. That was an awesome story. And then last week, we tied America. Captain America, into the concept of just, you know, God's heart for those that have paid the ultimate sacrifice. And we looked at the fact that Jesus has paid the ultimate sacrifice for us, and we connected that to a principle that's a valuable, noble character, a principle for our lives. So this, today we're going to look at Iron Man. Now, is anybody an Iron Man fan? Do I have, okay, there's one Iron Man fan. Okay, Kmart's not awake yet, but Kmart, Iron Man? Okay, good, Iron Man. Okay, Tony got Iron Man. Okay, so Iron Man, so we got some Iron Man fans. Now, what's, what, do you, what would you say is Iron Man's defining characteristic? What is it? He's a leader, okay. That's not the word I would use, but it's okay. Go ahead. He's a leader. He influences people, but what else? What's that? He's a snob, okay. I get that one, okay, with great cars, right? What else? You just got no Iron Man. You got something on the tip of your tongue, Joel? Nothing, okay. He's like, no, okay. So that happens though, right? So, what is it? He's righteous? Oh, I don't know about that one. He's a regular guy in a suit, okay? Red suit, somebody said. He's a playboy billionaire philanthropist. Okay, so would you say that he's a little stuck on himself? Okay, now we found the defining characteristic of Iron Man, okay? The guy is stuck on himself. He is the consummate narcissist. This guy's all about his life. And one of the reasons is, is because he's really not found someone that can go toe-to-toe with him early on in the series, is it? Later on, as he starts to get some people that can go toe-to-toe with him and call him on his own junk and his own stuff, his life begins to change. And then you start seeing more of the leadership and some of the more noble aspects. Well, that's where we're going to go with today's message. That's, that's all you get of Iron Man. Now we're just going to go Bible. Is that okay? Okay, so if you've got a Bible, open it up. There's a Bible. There's a pew Bible in front of you. You can use your phone. Uh, we'll have some of this on the screen too. And we're going to be looking at a really cool um, a proverb that many of you have seen, but many have not studied. And we're going to look at Proverbs 27. We're going to look at, uh, specifically at verses 5 and 6 
and verse 17. And we're going to try to connect these principles together, and I'll show you why it's so important in just a second. So let's look at this together, starting with verse 5, out of Proverbs 27. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. So stop there for a second, put your finger there. Rebuke, okay? What's a rebuke? A rebuke is when somebody gets up in your grill, okay? That's the vernacular way of saying that, okay? They get up in your grill and they let you have it, okay? This isn't like, you know, maybe you should think about this. This is I'm in your face and I'm going to give it to you, okay? Better is an open in your face rebuke than hidden love. Watch this. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Okay, you starting to see the theme here? Then you skip to verse 17, and I think they're connected. As iron sharpens iron, so one man or one person sharpens another. So here's the deal. A lot of us are going on our happy-go-lucky lives. You know, we're just doing life together. We've got a pattern to our life. And then all of a sudden, in the spiritual components of our life, somebody shows up, and they've earned the right. They've got to earn the right first. And once they've earned the right, they may actually say something in our life that we go, ooh, I don't like that. But I trust that person because I've already seen them vested in me. Much better, by the way, than someone who's just telling you all the time, you're just the best, man. You're awesome. You know what? You know what? John... You, when you play the drums, man, I just get a quiver in my liver, you know? I mean, just, they tell you, always telling you good stuff, you know? Instead of, John, will you please, when you do a turn, get back in the pocket, man. Just be truthful with you. Get back in the pocket. I'm being serious right now. No, I'm just kidding. So it's like that, though. If they've earned it, you'll take it. If they've not, it's, you know, it's not quite there. The other, the other side of this, though, is people are always telling you just good and good, and they're just always positive, but they never give you truth they really don't develop your life. They're really not of value. And why this is so hard is because people don't understand the value and the depth of the relationship that's needed. So one of the things I see often, often in Christianity is a lot of times people get heavy on the truth side of something or they get heavy on the grace side of something, the mercy side, and they never figure out how to balance these two things together equally the way they should be in our lives. So, and, and sometimes they do it before they earn it. So one of the things that happened in my life early on is we went to church when I was about five years old, so maybe about seven. And then we quit going to church. So I don't know what happened, but something happened, and we just quit going. I didn't go to church again until I started dating because my mother-in-law made a requirement. Thank you, Mom. Okay, and, and life changed for me again. But I asked my mom one day, so why, you know, why don't you go to church? You know, why, why aren't you there? You know, what, what is it that happened? And she was so guarded, she would not share with me the exact thing. But all she would say is, well, someone in church just hurt me. And they wounded me and they hurt me deeply. And so she began to practice her faith many times just from home, reading her Bible. Uh, the first hymns I ever learned actually were not from a hymn book. They were from a mom book. And she would just sing them aloud as she did work around the house. And that's how I learned a lot of early Christian music. And it was hard. Every once in a while I could get her to go back, but she was so hurt. She was so wounded. And I don't know specifically what it is, but I guarantee you it had something to do with someone talking, shouldn't have talked, who had not learned the principle of this proverb, that before you give what you think is truth, what you're weighing in on scripture, you better build the relationship first. So that's what we want to talk about. And I think that when uh, King Solomon wrote this, he was thinking about iron because this was like the new technology of the day. Does anybody watch uh, History Channel? I know Bud's like into, yeah, yeah, History Channel rocks. Okay, you know what the antithesis of the History Channel is, don't you, Bud? It's the Home and Garden Network, right? Do you know what it's called? 
So when my wife is home and I walk in, and it's called HGTV, you know it's called, and I walk in and she's got it on, I'm like, oh, just kill me now. I mean, just stick a knife in me and do me. And I, this is like torture. And the same thing happens, by the way, since she's gone right now in Orlando. When she comes home, the History Channel's on. She's like, oh my gosh. Just, but on the History Channel, they've got a couple different shows about forging metal, don't they, Ray? And, and it's pretty cool. And you've got these modern people forging metal. And why this is so important is when you look at this text, you need to understand that in Solomon's day, iron was a new technology. Up till then, they had bronze, right? And which is very easy to fabricate. And now you've got this thing called iron. Here's how they would do it. This is why it's just so cool when you think about this and why I believe he specifically used iron. When you would forge iron, what you would do is you'd have to heat it up, right? And you'd use coal to do it. And the coal had carbon in it, which also begins, I know there's some chemists in here, they're going to get on me about this, begins to break down some components of the metal, of the ore, right? And then they have to add something else to it. Does anybody know what else they add to get the iron out? It's limestone. And they put the limestone in with this stuff, and then they, would, they put these pieces together in the specific formula. You get something called slag. That's the junk on the top, okay? And then they pull that stuff off, or they just come down to the bottom, and they let the pure iron come out. And then they have to sharpen it. And the only thing back then that was hard enough to sharpen it was more iron. So I want you to think about this, and think about the proverb writer when he's writing this, this proverb. Your life and mine are going to get heated up, aren't they? Life itself is the coal, isn't it? It's going to mess us up. It's going to heat us up. The pressures of it are going to come on us. And and at times, we're going to feel under the pressure of all of that heat. But what we need is some limestone in our lives. Other believers that are mature enough, that as they come alongside of us, that they begin to pull out some of the impurities and they draw them out of us, leaving all the crap at the top, right, all the slag. So only the purest metal then comes out of our life. And then when that pure metal comes out and it starts to come out in our faith, I need another believer who's of equal hardness, of equal sharpness, then to sharpen me and polish me to the place that I'm a real usable tool by God. So let's walk through what that looks like. That's the word picture I think the, the guy who wrote the Proverbs, which was Solomon in this case, wanted us to see. And how that happens is in small groups for believers. It happens in small groups. And I'm not talking about a program. I'm not talking about a system. I'm talking about whenever you gather together with other believers and it's in a smaller group and you're talking about life and you're doing life and you've got the Bible out, you know, this kind of thing. So when you gather in a group, let me tell you some things you discover that this, this, this limestone pulling out some of these impurities. The first thing you see is you see investors and you see divestors or divestors. I don't know if that's a real word, but I made it up. The coolest thing about the English language is if you make up a word, right? as we all have seen on Twitter, over time it'll become a real word, right? So you can make up words in the English language and they will become real words. Just say it long enough, hard enough, and tweet it long enough, okay? And it'll happen. And you see this in verse 5-6, okay? You see investors and you see divestors. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Inside of that, you see this component of trust and growth, and what you see is you're going to experience growth initially when you get in a group because you're going to start looking at God's word in a new way. And then you're going to find you're going to have people in the group that they just have a heart for you to see God's word in a way that's benefited their life as well. They're excited about everything you discover. They just want to see you grow in everything you do. That's an investor. And then you're going to find somebody who is just negative Nancy. You know, not, Nan- not that Nancy's negative. Just, that's an alliteration, okay? But they just, no matter what happens... They're always hammering you down. They're always wanting to show you something. You show them something, and they show you something bigger. You know, you've got a testimony, they've got a bigger testimony, okay? You, you've seen these people in group, and, they, and, and they're, like, they're like Iron Man. They just want to make everything initially all about them, all about what they're getting and not about what they're going to invest 
And you're going to find these two people in every group just about that you're part of. The key is learning how to figure out which one is which because, you know, one's more the coal and one's more the limestone. Now, these divestors, when they do that, let me tell you how they do it. They usually do it through manipulation. They do it through coercion. And they do it so they can maintain their status quo of being the smartest in the room. Have you met these people? Just nod your head if you've met these people in a group somewhere. Yeah, over, you know, any kind of group. You see these not just in spiritual groups. You'll see these in work groups. You see these in groups in high schools when you hang out. When I was in engineering, because I was an engineer for nine years, this principle worked also in engineering groups. I found that there were two types of engineers in every world I've ever worked in. Confident engineers who knew their business, they knew their trade, and they knew exactly what they were doing, and they were never afraid to share that knowledge with other people around them. Because they knew if I shared this with you, and then you learned it, our company benefited, and I'd go do something else. That's pretty cool. And I met those engineers all the time. They were great. And once I found them, all I had to do was ask. You said to humility, humility to ask. And when I asked, they would teach me so much cool stuff. And then there were other engineers that they knew knowledge was power. And they held on to every secret that they could hold on to. Because they knew if they had this knowledge and you didn't, they thought their job was secure. And this is what I mean by investors and divestors. And you see it in every group that you're a part of. And you've got to learn how to discern which one is which. That's the key not to being hurt. That's the key not to being burned. That's the key to actually being enhanced and not diminished. So when you gather a small group, the second thing is you find out what enhances and distracts from the mission. And that's what you'll see in these two people. What enhances and what distracts from the mission. Again, this better is an open rebuke. You'll find some people when they rebuke you, connected to this rebuke is not just so they can beat you down. They love you. They want the very best in your life. And they're watching you go down a certain way and they know the mission of Jesus in your life. They know exactly what that is. And they're not afraid to say, hey, dude, maybe it's not real smart when you fill in the blank. Or I saw you and this was going on. I saw a struggle. And usually someone that gets this, they almost always, always do it one-on-one where no one else can hear it because of their great love and their great affection for you. Other people you'll notice in those groups, they, they won't even pipe up or, again, they just kind of do those kisses thing. They just always tell you what you want to hear. That, you know what? That, that's, that's called a yes man, right? That's what we all need around us in this world, right? It's just people that tell us yes about everything. Mm-mm. So one of the things that I've seen in this is Bill Bright, real cool guy who started Campus Crusade for Christ. He, he, he encapsulated this idea that God has a wonderful plan for your life. He has a wonderful purpose for your life. When you get together with believers that get this and they want to bring this out of you, they want to find out what that specific purpose is and they want to try to remove every distraction and just bring you back to the mission. They want to bring you back to the mission. So this happens all over in different ways. Let me give you some examples. So when I was a youth pastor, there was a guy I used to love to hang out with. His name was Greg Steer. If you, if you just want to have fun on YouTube one day, just Google Greg Steer. This guy is a lunatic. I love this guy. And Greg was a guy who grew up not in church. He grew up with a bunch of guys that were the kind of guys that went to prison a lot. You know what I'm talking about? And so he had the best stories. So whenever we come together, and he never shared them. I never felt like he was sharing them just to overshare. He always shared them in ways that actually benefited me, helped me to understand my faith in a better way. So every time I got to hang out with Greg, we would hang out and we would just go out and chill. And every time I felt like I was encouraged to go and do God's mission more. Every time I hung out with this guy, that's one of those people I'm talking about. They do this in your life and you so see it. And it didn't distract me from the mission, it enhanced Another person that you'll see is people that don't get it or they detract. 
And I'm not going to give you a negative example. I'm going to give you a positive example on this issue. So when we first got to church, I want you to imagine this for a second. The way you would join grace when we first got here. Remember, what's the mission? Let me give you the mission. The mission is to make disciples, right? Jesus said, go forth there in all the world. Teach them everything I've commanded you, right? He says, go and make disciples, which means students. People who love Jesus and want to learn from him, okay? So here's the way you would join the church when we first got here. And this is very old school. You all remember this? Some of you were here. At the end, during the invitation, you would get out of your pew, and you would walk to here, and you'd talk to a deacon, right? He may even know who the deacons are, but you talk to one, okay? And the deacon had a clipboard, and the deacon would say, hey, man, have you prayed to receive Jesus? Well, yeah. All right, check. And then they would say, have you been scripturally baptized? Which you may or may not even know what scriptural baptism means. So that's why we have a class called Foundations. And yeah, sure. I got baptized somewhere. I got wet sometime, man. You know, click. Okay, check. And then after that, right, then they say, awesome. They turn you around. They say, hey, this is Joe Schmo." You may or may not know them and their wife and their 15 kids. Well, hopefully they got 15 kids. Ministry just grew right in children's ministry. And uh, they put themselves forward and they want to join our church. Everybody in favor, y'all vote them and say, amen. Amen. <laughs> That's all over it. And I remember we were explaining this one night on Wednesday night and, and the idea of the mission and the things that distract and the things that enhance the mission. And we wanted to launch a new class called Foundations, which the purpose of the class was to teach someone the basics of Christianity and how to grow in their faith. Not to join the church, but to grow in their faith. And then if they want to join the church after that, that's fine. And we're explaining this, and some people are having a hard time with it because change is difficult. Y'all figure that out? In every part of our life, change is difficult. And Jack stands up in the middle of this, my hero, and he says, I never got that thing. I never got that whole walk forward thing. He was just like joining a club. Jesus didn't call us to grow a club, did he? He called us to make disciples. And that was the end of the argument. Because he just enhanced everyone's idea of what the mission is and not what tradition's about. Sometimes tradition enhances mission. Sometimes it attracts. Sometimes new stuff, by the way, enhances or detracts a mission. You got to keep your focus on the mission. You'll see that in a group and you'll find people that do that. So what do you do when you gather in a group? You find investors and divestors. You find out what enhances and distracts from the mission. And the third thing is you also find out where you need to be sharpened yourself, where you need to be sharpened, where you need to be sharpened. As iron sharpens iron. Oh my. So how does that happen? As you start to get into this group, you'll start sharing about your life. You'll start sharing about different things you're going through. You'll start sharing about how you understand the Bible. You'll start sharing with different people about just the struggles of life. And what you'll find is you'll find someone in your group that you go, wow, I've never, you know, this is what I'm going through. And they'll go, I've been through that. And here's how God took me through that. And in that moment, when you get to do life on life with that person, you get to actually start to understand how they apply scripture to life. You go, oh, wait a minute. That's iron sharpening iron. Or you actually begin to develop a deeper relationship with one of the people in the group. And then they actually say, hey, let's go hang out for coffee once a week. And we'll start sharing some more intimate stuff. Some deeper stuff. Some stuff that I can't even share out loud with this group. But we've developed a relationship with each other now that I can do that. That's what this looks like when you start to see iron sharpening iron. And you'll find out where the little nicks are in your own blade. The places you may not have realized until you're sitting there with someone else who's on the same journey and the same path. And you begin to collide together. So how do you get sharp? Let me give you three ways again, just three ways to get sharp. First, you got to gather with people on the same mission. You got to gather with people on the same mission. That's the first thing you do. If you don't gather together, you're not going to get on mission together. And the mission is to make disciples. Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
I love this passage. Because in this passage, you see people gathering. You see them giving of their lives. You see them giving. And you see them going to tell people about this mission. And how you do that is you actually are in a daily quiet time. If you've never done a daily quiet time, it's where you open God's word once a day. You allow God to speak to you as you read the Bible. Then you use that, what he tells you, to meditate on and to pray on and to discuss those things with God during the week. And then when you come together in a group, you're bringing what God has been telling you to share with other people. And they're going to bring things to you. And when that happens, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. We're writing a class for this right now, Bud and I and a pastor in Fellowsburg. And what we're doing is we're just talking about how do people get a grip on the Word of God. We want to equip you so when you open this, that you don't feel intimidated by the Bible. That when you come to it, it's such a cool experience for you. That every time you open it, you're like, I had no idea that God wanted to say that to me. And when you start getting that, and it starts exciting you as you read it yourself, you want to share it with other people. That's what group is supposed to be, by the way. So we're reformatting some of our groups. We're working on that right now to help you to be able to do that. That we don't want to add one more thing to your life. Have you noticed that the church is really good about adding more stuff to your life? Yes, right? So we don't want to add one more thing to you. We just want to say, hey, why don't you actually get into this every day? Because God wants to speak to you. He wants, something, he wants to share something with you. And then would you be willing, then when you gather with other people, to share what God's been sharing with you? That's what a group is. That's all a small group is. But here's what's critical. It's centered around this, the Bible. That's what makes it powerful. And so we'll, we're going to let you know we're actually writing. We're going to finish that Growing with Grace class, and we've got people I know that want to take it. The second thing is you look for someone of similar metal. Look for someone of similar metal. In my group, I already know there's some people that are a little bit further along. There's some people that are kind of like alongside of where I am, and there's some people that are new in the journey. So I'm looking for people to actually do this harder life stuff with. I'm looking for someone that's kind of right where I am in the journey, right there in the hunt, if that makes sense. And the only way that you can figure that out is spend time with people and to be patient with people. Did you know in the early church that they weren't called Christians? I'm talking about this principle. You know what they were called in the early church? They were followers of the way. What was the way that they followed? Do you ever think about that? They were called the followers of the way because there were specific things that they did in practice. Here's what they would do. They would meet together, hear the apostles' teaching, and then they would gather in group and discuss what they heard. What's that sound like? Small groups. That's all it is. So here's the coolest thing for you. The apostles' teaching has now been sealed. It's right here. All you got to do is read it and discuss it. And here's the coolest part of this. If God lives in you, based on Christian teaching, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and he can interpret and bring to light anything you read in here. Isn't that cool? And then here's the, here's the interesting part. I've got light on a certain sub subject, on a certain passage. But so do you. And I need to hear what God is sharing with you. That's the iron on iron. And you can do this over coffee. You can do this over golf. You can do this while you shoot. You can do this while playing music. You can do this hanging out in your home. You can do this in Sunday school. It doesn't matter where. It just matters what you're doing and the motive of why you're doing it. Isn't that cool? And you'll find someone in that kind of group of similar metal. And maybe you want to hang out with them more. Maybe you want to do more life with them. The third thing is this. You want to get sharp? Allow someone to examine your metal. Allow someone to examine your metal. I had to be careful how I said that one, right? Okay. So allow someone to examine your metal. So in your Christianity, what God is producing out of you, this pure metal that's coming out of your life, you're going to give someone permission to call you on your own stuff, your own nicks. 
some of the stuff that they see in your life that maybe somebody needs to call you on the carpet on. And when that begins to happen, you're going to find that the rub between that and the uncomfortable things that happen cause growth. My wife and I went through a series years and years ago called 40 Days in the Word. We went through something very similar here at Grace recently. And during that, we read Purpose Driven Life. And while we were reading Purpose Driven Life, we decided as a couple, we would read it together. So as we're reading it together, there comes this point inside of the the series where not only do you examine where there's some shortcomings, but you let the other person speak into where they see some shortcomings. And there's a moment of confession where you confess to them and they confess to you. That was one of the most spiritually healing moments in our marriage out of 25 years. Because we got around God's word, we read it every day, we began this discussion, and I opened myself to a greater level of intimacy. Now, you'd think you'd be pretty intimate married, right? But you know one of the things that we don't do? We don't pray together enough. That came out of that. And we don't confess to one another enough areas where we fall short. And as we started to do that, we sat together knee to knee, crying over the areas of our life that had chinks and were broken. And everything changed after that moment. That's not just true of husband and wife. That's true of anybody that gets serious about this principle of iron on iron. Look at James 5.16. You can mark this on the side. A little added scripture for you. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. The prayer of a righteous person or man is powerful and effective. This is why we need this. This is why we want this. This is why we have to have this in our groups. It can't just be a club. It can't just be a gathering. It's got to be life on life around the Bible. And where this becomes more powerful at times, and Bud, I know Bud has a heart for this too, is where it's guy to guy and gal to gal on certain issues. And when that happens, oh, God just gets in the middle of it and begins messing up our lives and moving. And the next thing you know, you take a step forward in your faith and you don't even know what happened. And you're just like, oh, I can't believe what God's doing. This is how it happens. This is why groups are so important. Iron on iron. So this week, here's your challenge. Be forged and sharpened into a quality weapon. God wants to use you as a weapon in this world to cut through the junk that we hear all the time. God wants to use your life. So be forged and sharpened into a quality weapon. That's what God wants. And you can only do that when you're in group with other people that are on the same mission. 